welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Trends in millennial drinking, plant-based wine launched in Australia, millennials driving restaurant and bar sales in the UK. News from Burgundy. The 2020 harvest is in, while 22 Premier crew announced in Puy Huisay. UK supermarket sales slow. What are the most planted grape varieties in the world? And as ever, our wine of the week. Well, let's begin as we usually do with our week in wine. And this week we attended a particularly interesting webinar on the wines of Jura and Savoie in comparison with the wines of California. Well, you may have attended. I was working kind of production on the back end of said webinar, but it was really fascinating conversation. So it was uh, Elaine Chacon Brown, who is the host of the California Wine Institute Behind the Wines webinar series, which I've been helping uh, produce. And this past week, Elaine spoke with Wink Lorsch, who is sort of the expert on Jura wines and wines of Savoie. So she is a wine educator and author and has split her time between France and the UK. So she knows uh, Jura wines very well, as well as the wines of Savoie. And she's written two books. So Jura Wine and then Wines of the French Alps. And those are both available uh, for purchase at winetravelmedia.com. And we highly recommend them. Uh, We've had the Jura Wine book for quite some time. It's been an excellent reference. Um, And then we just ordered the the Savoie book, the, the French Alps book. So looking forward to receiving that in the mail soon. Definitely. These are two wine regions which have long been overlooked, quite obscure, but which are becoming much more fashionable. And so it's quite an on-point conversation that she and Elaine had, because the great varieties of Jura, such as Sauvignon, Trousseau, Poulsard, and then Mondeurs from Savoie, are increasingly being planted here in California and actually have a historical uh, presence in the state. And so it's fun to kind of talk about the similarities and the differences between the two regions. The three wines presented in the webinar were all California wines. Uh, One was from a producer that was new to us, um, Method Sauvage, and they're based in Trinity Lakes AVA, which is up north, northern California, much further north than Mendocino, for example. So anyone who's not 100% dialed into the California wine scene probably would have no idea what we're talking about. I had no idea. Katie asked me to find it on a map, and I was like, nope, nowhere, no, no idea where it is. Somewhat near my hometown, so that's how I was uh, very aware of the region. Well, that's the important thing, isn't it? Because this is Alpine, California, and you used to go skiing there, didn't you? Correct, yes, Mount Shasta. And so that's where is a, an important connection with Jura and Savoie, the Alpine climates too. And then the other producers featured were Jolie Laid, Trousseau, uh, which also, that's a blend. So it has some Poussard, has some Gamay, Valdiguier as well. And then also uh, Forlorn Hope, Mondeuse, which was a cracking wine. And we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, that's our wine of the week, and rightly so. A new brand has been launched in Australia and New Zealand, targeting vegan millennial drinkers. Marketed as plant-based, it's made by a producer called Fourth Wave, and the brand is called Hello, with the description as very friendly, VF, as well as vegan friendly, with attractive eye-catching packaging. It's vegan friendly because finding agents such as Isinglass, which is uh, a sturgeon's bladder, are not used. 
There are four wines, Pinot Noir, Shiraz, Pinot Grigio, and Rosé, and they all cost 14 Australian dollars. There's a reason companies are targeting millennials. A report commissioned by UK distributor Bebendum this week revealed that those aged between 25 and 34 are driving bar and restaurant sales in the UK. Within that age range, the number of diners was up by 70% in August, while those aged between 35 and 44 was up by 20%. Older consumers are still cautious about going out, with 39% of them saying that they were comfortable in dining or drinking away from home. Babindam also concluded that the increased amount of table service rather than ordering at the bar offers a great opportunity to upsell. So this brand, um, hello, um, is plant-based. I always thought wine was basically plant-based. And it does seem very good marketing practice. Um, it is very attractively um, presented. And targeting millennials and targeting vegetarians and vegans, that's a market that's um, definitely there to be tapped and to be made money from. Although rather like the clean wine of Cameron Diaz, I'm not sure they're really doing anything different from what a lot of producers do anyway. Yes, I totally agree. I think with plant-based wines, I mean, you assume that it could be based on something other than grapes. But, you know, vegan wine uh, has been a trend. I've worked with a brand um, centered around that strategy, and it was simply in promoting the fact that they didn't use any of these practices that can be used in winemaking that are not vegan-friendly. You know, egg whites for fining, for example, or isinglass, as this uh, article refers to. And in the vineyard as well, you know, there are some things, some products that can be used in the vineyard to, you know, support vine growth and health uh, that aren't necessarily 100% vegan friendly. So there's a lot of aspects to look at. So I'm curious to know how strict they are on all of that in in stating that it's plant-based 100%. Yes, as is often the case, what goes on in the vineyard doesn't really get talked about even in this uh, vegan friendly uh, wine. But it, it, I do think it's actually very easy to market your wine as vegetarian or vegan because it's just most, basically about the fining and filtering and then the vineyard practices too. So I imagine more producers will do this, at least mention it on the label. It's a nice, easy selling point. Well, if it's what the millennials want, then that's what they'll get. I should know. I am one. <laughs> And more commercial news uh, from the UK. Figures released this week showed sales in UK supermarkets began to slow down after the country opened up in July and August. However, the alcohol sector continued to show the most growth in the supermarket industry, up by 15% in August in comparison to overall supermarket growth of 5%. The British government has been promoting an Eat Out to Help Out campaign to support the hospitality industry, which has, of course, suffered during the ongoing COVID-19 crisis. And the campaign has been successful in getting people out, with consumers spending £155 million less in supermarkets. On the bank holiday at the end of the month, dining out was two and a half times greater than the pre-COVID average. However, in the north of England where local lockdowns have been imposed, independent retailers saw sale rises of 31%. Well, this sounds like good news for the on-trade, but looks like maybe the off-premise might be taking a hit. 
um, and which is totally opposite of what we've been seeing, you know, during COVID-19 in these last few months. So I guess it's hard to talk about long-term trends as countries and regions go in and out of lockdown. Uh, here in California, you know, we've experienced the same. It's open up the doors, close the doors, maybe they'll open up again, and then maybe they'll close again. It's really hard to tell. Right, in the north of England, uh, there's been these local lockdowns, so that means uh, bad news for the on-trade, but good news, as it were, for the off-trade. Um, parts of Madrid have been closed down completely again. And here in California, I was just reading this morning that they've adjusted the way that they monitor testing figures in Sonoma in order to kind of massage them to make it more likely that indoor dining is going to be allowed sooner rather than later. Uh, so they're definitely eager to get things more open here. Uh, Napa and Marin have actually um, opened up indoor dining, though, though limited, and it's been greatly welcomed because I think people want to get out, they want to have some fun in a responsible way. Just keep the masks on. And in France, Burgundy has seen a historically early harvest. Uh, it began the 12th of August, uh, with plots, of course, ripening at different rates but two weeks ahead of the 25-year average and three weeks ahead of 2019. The growing season was warmer and drier than usual, uh, with a heat wave at the beginning of August, uh, and so picking finished the second week of September. Quality is expected to be high. And in other news, Puy Fuisse was awarded 22 Premier Cru out of over 200 Ludi after 10 years of discussion, negotiation, and decision-making. These vineyards in Puifuise are the first premier crew of the Mackinac. Total vineyard size accounts for 194 hectares, uh, which is 24% of the Appalachian, and spread across the four villages of Chantre, Fuise, Soulutre Pouillet, and Vergesson. And the new status begins with the 2020 vintage. That's exciting news, isn't it, Matthew? It is, and I think it's long overdue. It's always been a, a source of consternation amongst wine students and drinkers why Puy say and the Macanay in general doesn't have any premier crew, and it's about time that they do. And speaking of Salutre Pouillet, I remember that producer, uh, Domaine Chaveau, that we sold at Hanging Ditch in Manchester. Uh, those were amazing wines, so it might be interesting to see if, if he's among the, the producers that take advantage of this new designation. Let's hope so. I think this will really raise the prestige of Puy Fuisse, and therefore the quality will get better and better as well as uh, producers kind of have to match consumer expectation. But it is just an historical quirk that there's no Premier crew in Mackinac. It's simply because it wasn't part of occupied France during the Second World War. And the Premier crew system was created in Burgundy to protect the wines. So the Germans had to buy them. They couldn't steal them. That was the rule the Nazis came up with. And so Northern Burgundy was uh, part of occupied France, so they came up with the Premier Crew system. But the Macanay was not, so they didn't bother. And that's the only reason that there were no Premier Crew in Puy Fuisse. But now there are. Jancis Robinson this week wrote in the Financial Times and on her own site, jancisrobinson.com, about a report on the world's most planted grape varieties, which produced some interesting figures. The report, compiled by researchers at Adelaide University, is based on 2016 data, so it isn't 100% up to date, but they did find that between the year 2000 and 2016, vineyard plantings fell by 
in part because the number of wine drinkers in France, Italy, and Spain is much lower than it used to be, as well as because of vine pole schemes in the EU. Not everywhere has seen decreased plantings, however. Cooler countries such as New Zealand, England, and Canada have seen increases. Part of a long-term trend, perhaps? So what are the most planted varieties? Top is Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet is king here in California, in the Napa Valley, it's true. With 7% of all plantings worldwide. Then it's Merlot, followed by Tempranillo. Fourth is Aran which used to be the most planted globally because of its use for Spanish brandy. So all those plantings are highly concentrated in La Mancha and central Spain. The biggest wine-growing region in the world. Correct. And then we have Chardonnay, followed by Syrah, Grenache, Sauvignon Blanc, and Pinot Noir. So apart from iron, these are all very familiar grape varieties which consumers around the world drink, so everything's dominated by these famous international varieties. But I wonder if we could expect to turn towards more indigenous varieties the next time a report like this is commissioned. Because a lot of producers are really focusing on more quirky, more local, more individual styles of wine, rather than those that have broad mass appeal. Or maybe these will just continue their um, consolidation, and it's just going to be small production for indigenous varieties. I'm not sure. It seems we're still a far cry from having those indigenous varieties really take the main stage in terms of percentage of global plantings. I mean, the international varieties are stated as such because they are truly international. And then, you know, obviously give them more vineyard space on the map. But you're right, the indigenous varieties are, you know, really taking hold. And I think consumers, you know, now more than ever are looking for really authenticity, but real authenticity, not just the marketing speak. So, you know, maybe that's what consumers will be looking for and asking for, and we'll see some more plantings. And just out of interest, in 1990, 2% of plantings around the world were Cabernet Sauvignon, and now it's 7%. So a huge increase in 30 years, but I don't see it growing any further, and maybe it's just kind of reached its peak. Uh, Merlot's fallen a lot, maybe that will be replanted a little bit, but is the big rise as well. So these trends do change with time. Well, and let's not forget the elephant in the room, which is climate change. And that's going to be a big factor in what is planted in the next few years in terms of what's actually going to be able to make good wine in an increasingly warmer climate. And now for our wine of the week, which is Katie. Forlorn Hope, Mondeuse, 2017. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we had a focus on Jura Savoir grape varieties which are planted here in California, and we enjoyed tasting those wines greatly. And the one that we've chosen for our wine of the week is the Mondeurs from the Sierra Foothills, that's the one that really stood out. The producer is Forlorn Hope, which is run by Matthew Rorick, who purchased what is now called the Rorick Vineyard in 2013. At an elevation of over 600 metres, the vineyard is located in Calaveras County, and it was first farmed in 1844, so really part of California's history. And Matthew is committed to preserving the heritage of an area that's historic, but not that well known. And many good producers source fruit from the vineyard. Besides common varieties like Chardonnay and Zinfandel, he has more unusual plantings. Barbera, Trousseau, Semillon, Riesling, Picpoul, and Mondeurs. 
So Mandeuse is a variety native to Savoie, which was probably first planted by European immigrants in California back in the late 19th century, but now it's scattered across the state. Jamie Motley makes a Mondeuse from Santa Maria Valley, Lagier Meredith from their own vineyard on Mount Veter in Napa, and it's a great example of how California isn't a monolithic producer of Cabernet and Chardonnay. The Mondeuse is much lighter and delicate, though with gripping tannins to balance the naturally high acidity. This is definitely a food wine, um, but very enjoyable on its own as well. The alcohol is 12.63% to be precise. Uh, I guess that's a private joke of Matthew's. It's his little um, stab at bureaucracy. So he labels it as precisely as possible to uh, please the um, the alcohol bureau. He actually would do it with three or four digits, but it's not allowed. It's difficult to get hold of. Just 125 cases were made. But in general, it's well worth seeking out Matthew's wines, uh, both under the Forlorn Hope label and the introductory Queen of the Sierra, which is some really fun wines as well. Yes, and those are really good value. They only retail for about $20, which for California is a good price and very experimental blends with lots of really weird, unusual grape varieties, which um, just points out how much fun um, he's having in his vineyard. And um, he's an interesting character. He's not kind of what, I mean, when I met him, he wasn't quite what I imagined him to be. I thought he's going to be a really serious kind of farmer type guy, but he's covered in tattoos. He has a beard. He's very um, kind of rock and roll kind of guy. So it's really cool that he bought this vineyard and is preserving the heritage, but really experimenting with all these different grape varieties. Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gorn. Join us next week for another Wind Up. And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us. Especially if the reviews are positive. That's right. See you next week. Cheerio! Cheerio!